like you got to get paid a lot because when you get paid a lot, then your value is way up here and the value you provide to your clients is way up here. If you see yourself down here, this is the value you're going to add to your clients, right? If you see yourself way up here, this is how you're going to act. So get paid a ton and add super value. You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denango, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm selling merchandise at shopyouarelawyer.com. That's where you can find water bottles, long and short sleeve t-shirts, and everything you need to support the You Are Lawyer podcast. So support your favorite lawyer's favorite podcaster and visit shopyouarelawyer.com to grab some merchandise. Welcome to the You Are Lawyer podcast, Marco Brown. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing very well. But Marco, yep. you're from Alaska. I mean, so what was that like? Can you give us some details? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not only from Alaska. I think like half the state's population is concentrated in Anchorage, the big city, right? Uh, but I didn't live there. I lived in the boonies. My dad ran a salmon hatchery on the Aleutian Peninsula. So this is... If Anchorage is in Nebraska, Cold Bay, where I grew up, would be in like Yuma, Arizona, right? I mean, it's just so vast. Like Alaska's huge. So village of 85 people. I loved it. Hunted, fished, played with my dogs, never had a fence. You know, I just got to do whatever, kind of whatever I wanted as a kid and I credit a lot of my life and a lot of my personality to that because I was alone a lot of the time. So I just had to figure things out and there were bears around. So, you know, I, there are all of these things and you just, as a kid, even as a kid, you had to have higher executive, you know, prefrontal cortex functioning because <laughs> you had to figure out how to get yourself out of the crap you got yourself into. Absolutely. Um, that's a really good point. I have a two-year-old. And like, you know, we'll let her climb on the table. And then we're like, what's your plan for getting down? Right? Not just, oh, yeah. be careful, but like, what's your plan? <laughs> yep. Let's, let's yep, exactly. <laughs> yep. So, no, it was, um, it was a great life. I, I absolutely adored it. Never want to go back. Alaska does one of two things to you. It makes you want to live there for the rest of your life or even and grow a beard, even if you're a woman, or it makes you want to get out. And I did 17 years and I loved it. And I do not go back that often. Okay. All right. <laughs> Very cool. So what brought you to Utah? I mean, how did you make that transition and that big jump? Yeah, I went to college at BYU. So I uh, graduated, well, never did finish high school, actually. So I hated high school. I, I left. Uh, high school is, and teenage years were not, were not great for me. I was not a good teenager. So I dropped out of dropped out of school, got my GED. Eventually, went back to college, transferred down to BYU, and yeah, uh, ended up ended up being here. Didn't go to didn't go to law school here. I was too dumb for their law schools. So now I employ their graduates, but made my way back. Okay, so I'm I'm laughing and I'm shaking my head because I read your biography, right? So I know um, rest is history. You met your wife, and then you mm -hmm. guys started an entire life. So for someone who had rough teenage years, what made you decide that you still wanted to study and go to law school, right? Why not just say, okay, I think I'm just done with school. Uh, yeah, that was never the cards for me, really. I didn't, like, I didn't like being a teenager 
And I didn't like high school because it bored me to tears. And I didn't like other teenagers. One, because I wasn't a good teenager. I was just, I was a jerk. And I thought I was smarter than everybody else. I, it was, it was terrible. There were just terrible times. Uh, I've, I've moderated a lot in, in myself, uh, trying to be self-aware because of that experience. But yeah, it wasn't that I was bad at school. Like I was really good at school. I was just bored out of my mind. So I left and then decided, hey, look, I just want to go to college and be an adult. So my grandmother, they were the real impetus for this, though, is my grandmother. So my grandmother got a PhD and was a professor back when women didn't really do that sort of thing. So she was she was incredibly educated, still the smartest woman I've ever met in my entire life. And she passed that down to my father and my father passed it to me and my mom, my mom was really bright as well. So it was always the expectation that you'd go to college in our family. It was never, are you going to college? It was, where are you going to college? That was the conversation. So I always knew that it would happen. Uh, I, I just had a bad few years as a teenager. I'm still laughing at you didn't like teenagers. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, how no, self-aware. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Marco, you are managing partner of Marco Brown Law, which is family law. Did you know in law school that you wanted to practice family law or where did that interest come from? Yeah, I wish this were a, I wish this were a more mission driven story, but it wasn't. So I start Brown Family Law. It was just Brown Law back then in 2010 in the middle of the Great Recession. And I took anything and everything that came in the door. I thought I was going to be a criminal defense attorney, figured out really quickly that I was not good at that. That was not my not my jam. And a lady I knew needed a divorce and I needed money to pay for, you know, rent. So I said, sure, come on in. And I had no idea about divorce, not one iota of an idea, right? So I stayed up until three o'clock the night before reading everything I could about divorce in Utah, met with her at, I think, nine o'clock in the morning. And she gave me a check for 1500 bucks. And I said, yep, we'll do this. And thankfully it worked out. So I got her a really good deal. I really enjoyed the feeling of it, uh, taking care of her and her kids in a tough spot. And I thought, oh, I might like to do this some more. And then just more and more people started coming in because at this point, I'm still taking everything that comes in the door, right? So more and more people start coming in for family law cases. And I start doing more of them. And then I figure out I was good at them. And it's easy to like things you're good at, right? It's easy to like the things that just make sense in your head. So I started liking it more. And then I figured I was good at it. It was this kind of virtuous cycle. And then I figured I was really good at it. And then it just became everything I did. But that that was about a two-year process right there until I just decided I'm all in on family law. It was probably two, two and a half years. Yeah. So just to dig in a little bit deeper there. So let's say you're doing two family law cases, you know, a DUI and something else. Are you anticipating the family law? And that's why you're like, oh, I think this is where I want to go. Like, how did you kind of narrow it down? Yeah, it, it was really what I was best at. I just tried to determine what was easiest in my head. So I, I became a, I became an attorney because being an attorney made sense in my brain. Okay, uh, I from a very early age, I was able to take arguments and kind of manipulate those arguments in my head and look uh, at the permutations of the arguments and then follow them to their logical conclusions. Like this is just how my head worked. 
And I, I figured out after a while, that's what lawyers needed to do. And then I've always been kind of combative and I've, I've like, I like the fight. So I thought, okay, so I know I need to be a lawyer and I like the fight. So I know I need to be a litigator. And then I got into family law and then everything just kind of made sense in my head in family law. I just, it just came really, really naturally. And I thought, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to go along with this and see where it goes. And then it, you know, it just went and I, I went with it. Yeah. I love that. I saw a tweet. I think it was actually just like a quote the other day and it was like, lean into the stuff that's easy because it's not easy for everyone. Right. They're like, so yeah. often people are like, oh, life is easy. Let me find a challenge. Or you can just master what comes easy. And it sounds like that's what you did. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, I think Steve Harvey talks about this. He says, look, just just go with your gift. Right. Everybody's got a gift and just find what that is and go with it, man. Even if it's the thing you don't enjoy the most, still just go with your gift because it's going to be the the easiest and most intuitive thing for you to do to make money and to be successful at. So go with it. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Go with your gift. So, Marco, you are running your law firm. What's it like managing? Do you still carve out time to go and make court appearances or is it all office work? I do not. I have not been in court COVID kind of messed everything up. The last time I did a trial was at the beginning of COVID. So that was the last kind of time I was in, I was in court. So I just manage now. I mean, I go to, I go to court every once in a while to see the commissioners and the judges and, you know, talk and take pastries to people, you know, the, the, the court clerks and that sort of thing. But yeah, I don't, I don't go into court anymore. I have attorneys for that. I train them, uh, develop the team to do those sorts of things. Yeah. And so I don't want to diminish the going into court and keeping those relationships going, right? That's a very big part of being a mm. lawyer. Yeah, it's absolutely indispensable. Young lawyers need to understand this, that the most important people you will ever have in your legal practice are not the judges. They're not the partner who's over you. No, it's your paralegal. They're the people below you on the on the ladder, right? So your paralegal, you take care of your paralegal before you take care of anybody else because your paralegal makes your life 10 times easier or 10 times harder, okay? And then the, the second set of people that you take care of are the court staff. Do anything and everything. I mean, don't bribe them, of course. We're not talking about that. But do anything and everything to make their life better because they will make your life, again, 10 times better and they will they will do you solids for your clients and make your clients experience 10 times better as well if you take care of them. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because this podcast is centered around people who have been practicing for five years or less or law students. And so a lot of times they want this advice, right? Because, you know, networking on social media, but not really the networking in person, the maintaining relationships, those kind of things. Yep. There is no substitute. Uh, there's absolutely no substitute for buying people food and taking people food that tastes good. Right. I mean, there's just not like you can, you can buy them all sorts of other stuff, but buy them food, man, buy them sweet things, buy them fatty things, take it in there, just do it, do it all the time, send them cookie, whatever it is. Right. But there's nothing that, that takes the place of that. And especially nothing that takes the place of that. If you take it in there face to face and know those people, uh, you can call them on the phone, you do social media, all that's great. We do all that stuff, but nothing beats in-person gifts. Absolutely. Yeah. Let people know that you care about them and you value them. So 
Yep. All right. So, Marco, a quick deviation here. Um, first of all, I got to give a quick commercial. If you're watching this video on YouTube, thank you so much. We appreciate it. I want to let you know this podcast is available audio only everywhere else that you watch, that you listen to podcasts. Okay. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all of it. All right. So, Marco, let's talk about Italy. Why did you live in Italy? What happened there? Yeah, so I moved there when I was 19. Uh, I'm Mormon, so I serve. we serve Mormon missions. So they're they're called proselytizing missions. So we go over there and we teach people about the gospel. So I, I went over there when I was 19, which is a, a very interesting experience just all the way around. I didn't know Italian before. I, I, I went to Italy when I was eight years old. I went to Venice and Milan. And I still remember that, like everybody remembers the first time they ever go to Venice because it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, I didn't know any Italian. I didn't know Italians at all. I didn't know anything about the culture. I didn't know any, any of that. I just get dropped off there uh, with a companion. There are about 140 of us missionaries and we're all kind of doing the same thing. So it, it was a very, very interesting experience. You get really good at a language when you absolutely have to use that language. I'll tell you that. And it's kind of the same thing in lawyering. Like there is no substitute for going and, and walking in court. Even if you have no idea what you're doing, <laughs> you're going to learn it extraordinarily fast. So that actually helped me as a lawyer because I had gone through that kind of process before. So I knew, oh, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this to prepare because I wasn't able to prepare before for this other experience. Right. Uh, but that that began it. Uh, so I spent two years over there and then it just took like it took with me as a human being. So my ancestors came over about seven years after the Mayflower. I just and my last name is Brown. But for some reason, my parents gave me an Italian name. So, you know, it, it and, and it just kind of stuck. I always felt it was kind of fate. Right. I love Italy like nothing else in the world. In fact, we just uh, we just signed doc documents today. We're going to go over there and live for two months this summer. So, you know, it's the longest vacation we've taken and I'm super looking forward to it. You know, we're going to buy a house over there. We're going to live there for, you know, large swaths of time. The kids are going to learn Italian. Like we're, we're going to have that experience. And it all came from, you know, when I was 19 and it just took, I, I just adore those people. And I use that as motivation in the law office to create what I've created. So I, I knew that I wanted to do this sort of thing. So I thought, okay, if I want to do this, then I have to structure a law firm in such a way that, that it allows me to do that. So how do I do it? And then the vision starts, right? And then you just start putting the pieces together and it takes time to come to fruition, but you have to have that vision in your head a long time before you ever make it happen. So figure out you know what you want and what motivates you especially. Uh, People will tell you that you should be motivated by incredibly altruistic things. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe that's you as a human being. That's not me. Like, I'm not super motivated by, by altruistic stuff. I do a lot of altruistic things. I give a tremendous amount of money to charities. Uh, my family and I do. And we help a lot of people. But that's not what motivates me. What motivates me is this sort of thing. Buying a villa in Italy. Doing this and this and this. So we amass money. And we amass a law firm that helps our clients exceptionally well, because that's how you amass money, right? And then you can do all sorts of cool things with money. The, and those ancillary things are fantastic. But, you know, figure out what motivates you and then go with it. No matter what it is, just go with it. Yeah, I'm over here nodding my head like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because 
one thing people overlook when they're talking about, oh, I want a million dollar firm, I want this, I want that, is how much you can do once you have the money. Money is a tool, okay? Like yep. you going to Italy with your kids for the two months will completely change their lives. It will um, invigorate you. It'll give you like all of it. You'll be over there just daydreaming how to do this with the firm, yep. how to do this, how to do that. Like it's worth it, but you need the money to be able to do that, <laughs> okay? Yeah, um, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So you mentioned kids when you were talking about working in family law and divorce stuff. What is one of the mm -hmm. ways that you work to minimize damage in kids when they're dealing with um, when their family is divorcing or separating? This is a great question. This is really hard. The, the what I've the best thing I found I've done, you know, 5000 divorces at this point is to decrease the temperature between the parents. Okay. And there's only so much we can do as attorneys because when people are getting divorced, they, they, by definition, almost by definition, hate each other. Right. So there's going to be some animosity and then that animosity trickles down to the kids. It cannot not trickle down to the kids. You know, the, the, there's this really interesting, uh, I, well, interesting, I think it's kind of pedantic, but anyway, conversation about alienation in family law cases and divorce. And people will say alien child alienation does not exist. I'm like, no, child alienation exists in literally every divorce because you are alienating the child from the other parent, one, by divorcing them, and then two, by your attitude toward that parent. It just happens. It's the minimization of the alienation that's important, right? You want to minimize that as much as humanly possible. So that's on the parent side. And, and, but there's only so much we can do as attorneys, but we can do a lot. So, you know, as a firm, we have this culture, we get into a case and we are going to go to mediation. We're going to go to negotiation. We are going to get these things done with a minimum amount of litigiousness possible. Okay. The minimum amount of animosity and fighting as we can. Now, if we have to, if we are forced to go to court and put boxing gloves on and punch people in the face, that is exactly what we will do because we are paid to do that thing. And it is necessary in about 5%, maybe 10% of cases. Okay but it is not in the vast majority of cases. So what we can do as attorneys is really lower that temperature, lower the animosity, not be litigious. And you know, what that does is it, it decreases the litigiousness of the parents and the animosity toward between the parents, which then trickles down to the kids. So that's the best thing we can do as attorneys because we're not gonna convince these people not to get divorced. We're not gonna convince these people, you know, we're coroners, we're not murderers, right? We're just not going to do that sort of thing. Uh, we're not going to save these kids. We're not going to, you know, we, we don't get paid $400 an hour to sit down with children and tell them that they need to deal with their parents getting divorced. It's not our job. So what we can do is really just decrease the temperature, be good to our colleagues, be good to our clients, be good to the other side, the, the absolute best we can. Yeah, I think that is really, really important. I haven't heard any divorce lawyers say that about the influence that you have on the clients. If you can bring down the temperature, it might bring down the temperature, you know, for about 90% of the other cases. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so Marco, my very last question here, which is, do you have any advice for new lawyers about what they can do with their law degree or even considering working in family law? Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's broad. Uh, uh, I'll give some generalized advice to younger lawyers and law students and then family law specific advice. This is a business, okay? Treat it 
as a business. Uh, it's also a profession and you can treat it like a profession, but man, you have to make money. And the way you make money as a lawyer, this is not a greedy thing. It's really not. Uh, the way you make money as a lawyer is by serving your clients exceptionally well. So the, the basic contract we have with our clients is this. We do exceptional work for them. And if you don't do exceptional work for your clients, you're a loser as an attorney. And you should probably do something else that you're better at. Because we're getting paid two, three, four, five hundred, seven hundred dollars depending on where you are per hour. Don't be a loser. Be as good as you possibly can be and be exceptional at it and serve your people really well. Okay. And then on the other side of the coin, they pay you 100%. The client pays you 100% for the work you do. That is the basic contract of lawyering. Okay. So fulfill your side and then get paid. If you don't get paid 100% for the work you do, you are allowing your clients to steal from you, but not only you, you're allowing your clients to steal from your family. You're allowing your clients to steal from your paralegal and your team and their families. And that is not acceptable behavior from an attorney. I try to, I, I talk about this all the time. Do not allow your clients to do that. You wouldn't let them pick your pocket of a hundred dollar bill. So don't let them not pay you a hundred dollars. It's exactly the same thing. Uh, so that's that kind of generalized advice for younger attorneys. And then on the family law side of things, if you think that you want to go into family law, do it. If you allow your client not to pay you 100% for the work you do, you are allowing your client to steal from you. But not only to steal from you, you're allowing your client to steal from your family, your kids, your spouse, your significant other, whoever. But you're also allowing your client to steal from your team because if you don't get paid, they don't get paid. So you're letting your client steal from your paralegal and everybody else at the law firm and their families. That's not fair. That's not okay. That behavior is not becoming of an attorney, okay? Get paid 100%. You would never allow your client to pick your pocket of 100 bucks, so don't allow your client to just not pay you $100. It's the exact same situation, but we somehow think it's different, and it's not, okay? Don't let them steal from you. That is the basic contract that we have with our clients. And then the family law-specific suggestion I have for younger attorneys and uh, and law students is family law gets no love in law school. Very few things actually get love in law school. Uh, amazingly, the, the only things that tend to get love in law school are the things that make the president of the law school look better. So, <laughs> so it's like going, you know, putting people, uh, clerkships, high level clerkships in the federal judiciary or, you know, the state Supreme Court or, you know, going to these high level large mega law firms and whatnot that make the law school look better than make the the president and on a personal level look better so the president can like go be the president of the law school you know higher up the chain okay so that that's what law schools do uh very very few people are actually cut out to do that sort of work or find it rewarding i've talked with hundreds and hundreds and almost none of them actually like it and they go do something else so laws family law doesn't really get a lot of love because there are not these large law firms that do family law. It's usually one, you know, one person or two people or maybe three, four or something like that. Uh, but I can tell you, it is incredibly rewarding as a profession, you know, in inside the law as, a, as an area. And it's also 
can be very highly lucrative. Now, this is another thing that your law professors will say, oh, you can't make money in family law. And even a lot of other family law practitioners say you can't make money in family law. Nope, that's a total lie. They're projecting themselves out there. They're projecting their inability to be good with money and to make money onto other people. I can tell you, as somebody that does very well in family law by serving their clients exceptionally well, there's a lot of money to be made and a lot of satisfaction in helping people through the hardest time in their life. Now, the other part, uh, portion of this is give it a chance. That's really what I'm saying. But the other portion is you have to have the right attitude for it. You have to be able to like disconnect yourself emotionally from your clients and their problems. Okay? Not my circus, not my monkeys. We say it all the time here in the office. You have to be able to do that. If you cannot do that as a human being on a general level, then please do not go into family law because it will tear your soul up inside. You will never be able to go home and like put it in the box and then go enjoy your family or you know water skiing or, or reading a book or whatever it is. So know that within yourself. Uh, can, can you do that? Can you disconnect from the emotional problems of your clients? And if you can, Give it a whirl, man, because it is uh, family law is a lot of fun. If you cannot, I don't know. Go help, go help clients that aren't actually human beings, <laughs> right? Like where there's no emotional connection. Yeah, you know what I was thinking when you were talking about when people say family law is not lucrative. Those are probably the same people who cannot, you know, follow up on the invoice or get paid a hundred percent either. You know, yep. they're probably the ones that are like, oh, well, I did 85%. It's okay. No, go after 100%, right? McDonald's yep. doesn't let you partially pay. Yeah, exactly. Because I spent five, six years at the beginning of my law firm not getting paid. Uh, I, I I got paid maybe 33%, 50%, something like that. It was terrible. But back then, it was so bad. So I've, got, I've done this. I, have, you know, as, as Dave Ramsey says, I got a PhD in BUMB, right? I've made all these mistakes. And it cost me, it almost cost me uh, everything I had. And it was only kind of by the grace of God, literally, that I, that I changed that around and figured out the business of law. And my life is exponentially better. And the service that I provide my clients is exponentially better since I made that switch. And that's why I talk to people like, you got to get paid a lot. Because when you get paid a lot, then your value is way up here. And the value you provide to your clients is way up here. If you see yourself down here, this is the value you're going to add to your clients, right? If you see yourself way up here, this is how you're going to act. So get paid a ton and add super value to your people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not to diminish what you said before, which was when you're offering that excellent service, then, you know, the pay is comparable, right? Excellent service, excellent pay. So, yep, right. absolutely. Well, Marco. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing with everyone. I appreciate you spending your time with me and talking to the You Are a Lawyer audience. Okay. Hey, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. It was a great interview. All right. So, Marco, you enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Oh, okay. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.